The scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. There was some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Are those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Is the coronavirus a judgment from God? Back in April, a prominent church in Texas purchased a a billboard and they posed that question to commuters. Is coronavirus a judgment from God? Well, some have said yes. A Christian minister who leads Bible studies for members of President Donald Trump's cabinet answered the question in the affirmative in a series of blog posts where he argued, quote, this is God's consequential wrath on our nation. You know, when something goes wrong, when we suffer, when there's pain, our human nature is to look for someone to point the finger at. We desperately want to answer the why question. And we're so quick to answer it and point a finger. As we talked about last Sunday, there's a lot of coronavirus shaming that's going on right now. I quoted an article last week in which the author stated that when someone today becomes sick with coronavirus, people assume the person with coronavirus must have broken the rules somehow, that they're clearly careless about social distancing or have little concern for the health and safety of others. Because when something bad happens to someone, we immediately ask the question, why? And we're quick to look for a direct line between their behavior and the suffering that they're experiencing. And then we're quick to start pointing fingers. And we often do so right back at the one who is suffering. So is the coronavirus a judgment from God? Well, you might remember the same question was asked shortly after the attacks of September 11th that brought down the World Trade Centers. At that time, a prominent pastor trying to answer this why question pointed the finger. He said, I believe that it's the pagans and the abortionists and the feminists and the gays and lesbians who are actively trying to make that an alternative lifestyle. The ACLU, the people of the American way, all of them who've tried to secularize America I point the finger in their face and say, you helped this happen. Four years later, in 2005, another prominent pastor proclaimed that Hurricane Katrina, which devastated so many, was God's judgment on America. And then in 2010, the same pastor declared that the earthquake in Haiti that killed 300,000, injured another 300,000, and displaced a million people was God's judgment on Haiti, drawing a direct line between their specific behavior and the suffering that they were experiencing. 
Because when something happens, we want to understand why. And we're so quick to point the finger. And then eight years ago, in December 2012, a man opened fire at the Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut, massacred 26 people, including 20 children, ages 5 through 10. And at that time, another prominent Christian said, where was God when all this went down? Well, here's the bottom line. God's not going to go where he's not wanted. And I think God would say to us, hey, I'd be glad to protect your children, but you've got to invite me back into your world first. So, you know, 20 first graders died because their parents were just getting what they deserved, you know, because they were those kind of people. You know, those kind of people that kick God out of schools as if that was actually possible. So the finger is pointed and a direct causal line is drawn between dead six and seven year olds and the behavior of their parents. God's judgment on Newtown, Connecticut. In the same way today, people are asking why. Why coronavirus? And others are answering by pointing the finger. 18.8 million sick, 330,000 dead here in America. Jobs lost, lives disrupted, the economy crippled, mental health issues, loneliness, depression, and suicide. It's all God's judgment on America. But is it? Is it? Can we truly draw a direct causal line between specific conduct and the coronavirus? Between our performance and this pandemic? In the face of tragedy and suffering, whether a pandemic or whether it's personal suffering and tragedy, we all grasp for answers. We desperately want to answer the why question. And in doing so, we often jump to conclusions and we point the finger and we assign blame. But friends, the problem and where we get into trouble is that this why questioning, the reasoning behind it rests on faulty assumptions. You see, we assume that universally bad people suffer and good people don't. Karma, what you put out will come back to you. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. You get what you deserve. And therefore, if you suffer, if you suffer a terrorist attack or a hurricane or an earthquake or a school shooting or coronavirus, we must always be able to draw a direct causal line. You're getting what you deserve. Your suffering must be a direct consequence of your specific actions, maybe even a direct judgment of God. At least that's what the disciples assumed. You know, one day, Jesus and his disciples encountered a man blind from birth. And John records in chapter 9 of his gospel that Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. You see, they assumed a direct causal line between this man or his parents' specific actions and his suffering. He must be getting what he or what his parents deserve. In the Old Testament book of Job, Job suffered also horribly, yet through the whole book maintains his innocence. However, one of his friends, I use that term loosely, Eliaphaz challenges Job's innocence and he says, stop and think, did the innocent die? When have the upright been destroyed? 
See, Eliaphaz argues what we argue. The innocent don't suffer. So if you're suffering, you must not be so innocent, Job. Job, those national, natural disasters that killed your children, the loss of your wealth, and the virus that has afflicted you, well, there must be a direct causal line between what you've done and your suffering. It's God's judgment on America, on the world, on you, Job. Because we do this. We do this because humanly, we have so much trouble trying to wrap our head around when somebody suffers. Now, now we can understand when somebody suffers because of something they've done, can't we? I mean, you put your hand on a hot stove, you're going to suffer. If you invested unwisely, then you're going to suffer and lose your money. If you're unfaithful to your wife, you will suffer by destroying your marriage, your family, and your life. But what we struggle with is incomprehensible suffering. The incomprehensibility of those who seem to suffer unjustly or unfairly or without provocation. What about the natural disaster or the random shooting or the pandemic? Why do people seem to suffer indiscriminately? And our answer, like all of the examples cited at the beginning, is like Eliaphaz. Well, maybe they weren't so innocent. You know, we we start to look for and we assume guilt until proven innocent. We pass a judgment that ultimately you and I are just not qualified to pass. And that's exactly how the Judeans approach Jesus in today's passage. You see, the Judeans approach Jesus and he's like, hey, Jesus, so, so these Galileans, they suffered because they were guilty, right? They suffered and they're getting exactly what was coming to them, right, Jesus? You know, because somehow those are the Galileans that, you know, took prayer out of the schools. They were the homosexuals or the abortionists. They're the self-righteous and the fundamentalists. They voted for Biden, didn't they? Oh, no, they voted for Trump. Friends, we fill in the blanks. We reveal our not-so-subtle prejudices. The people who came to Jesus asking this question were most likely from Judea, the southernmost province of Palestine. And those who were killed by Pilate were from Galilee, the northernmost province of Palestine. And the Judeans in the south looked down upon the Galileans in the north. In fact, the disciple Nathaniel once asked about Nazareth of Galilee, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? And that was the opinion of most Judeans. Nothing good. Nothing good was going to come from Galilee. So the question that they approached Jesus asking that day was really, Jesus, you know, those, those backward, uncultured, redneck Galileans, they got exactly what was coming to them, didn't they, Jesus? They were those kind of people. They, they deserved it. There's a direct line between their behavior and the suffering, isn't there? And friends, all too often, we do exactly what they did that day. When we encounter unexplainable tragedy, especially involving those who are somehow different from us, we malign the sufferer. It's probably his fault. She's probably that kind of a person. You know, he's probably just getting what he deserves because, you know, she, she's that kind of person. The, the country's facing judgment because, you know, it's not filled with more people, well, like me. And when we encounter unexplainable tragedy and we try to answer this why question, we, we, we quickly draw these causal lines between specific conduct and the consequence. And they're lines, friends, that we're not qualified to draw. 
We often judge wrongly because of our prejudices, just like those in the story today. And our prejudices are revealed most often in our finger pointing. The Galileans that were killed, they were those kind of people. You know, those over there. We point our finger. They're just getting what they deserved. Those Americans, they're just getting what's coming to them. Those in Haiti, they were suffered an earthquake because they're witchcraft. Those in Newtown, Connecticut, the dead first graders because they took prayer out of school. We draw direct and causal lines between specific conduct and consequences. We point the finger and we reveal our biases and our blindness. But friends, hear the gospel. Hear the good news in the face of our finger pointing. Jesus doesn't point fingers. Jesus does not respond to such incomprehensible, indiscriminate tragedy the way that we do. Consider Jesus' passage. He says, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Or the 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You see, Jesus, you think that those who are suffering injustice or tragedy are somehow worse sinners than you? Don't even play that game. We're all sinners. And none of us, even you questioners, are innocent. Jesus takes this from an abstract theological question. He makes it personal. He makes it personal. He points there to his hearers and he says, look at yourself. If you're going to point fingers, don't point it out there. Point it right back here. Jesus warns here when he's talking about perishing, he's not talking about physical death. He isn't saying if you don't repent, God's going to have you slaughtered or drop a building on you. Jesus warning there's something worse than physical death. He says eventually we're all going to die. Whether by tragedy or by old age, we're all going to die. And there is a spiritual judgment, a spiritual perishing after death. And are you ready for that? Jesus says injustice in this world is experienced by these Galileans or tragic accidents as those who had the tower fall on them. It points to the fact that something is just not right with this world. Friends, something is not right with this world. Such tragedy is not necessarily God's direct judgment on specific sins, but it is because we live in a world that is broken by sin. Now, friends, this is not to say that God might not bring direct judgment on specific sinful acts here and now. I mean, Scripture reveals that He can and He does. However, friends, unless you are a prophet and have received a direct revelation from God Himself, to label another person's or community's or country's suffering as a judgment of God is an arrogant violation of the third of the Ten Commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Do not place God's name upon something that God Himself has not placed His name upon. That is taking the name of the Lord in vain. And it is a sin. So now while sickness or suffering can be a direct causal judgment of God, 
The majority of sickness and suffering that you and I experience in this life is simply suffering as the general consequence of living in a sin-broken world. Every one of us here suffers the consequences of sin every day. I suffer the consequences of my personal sin, the sin of others against me, our corporate sin that manifests itself in unjust laws, unjust policies, unjust systems. And we all directly and indirectly suffer the consequences of a creation broken and distorted by sin. It is as we confess together, do you feel the world is broken? You do. And do you feel the shadows deepen? You do. This world is broken. It's broken by sin. And accidents, violence, natural disasters, and pandemics are a universal consequence of human sin and the brokenness that sin has done to our world. People suffer unjustly and tragically in this world, not necessarily because they're worse sinners than you, not necessarily because they're those type of people, not necessarily because they're getting what they deserve, People suffer unjustly and tragically because this world is not how it's supposed to be. Because we are not how we're supposed to be. All because of sin. Jesus says that tragic, incomprehensible, indiscriminate suffering should remind us that this world is not how it's supposed to be. And this world is not how it's supposed to be because of sin. And friends, we all need to repent of our sin. In fact, the most frustrating thing about this whole passage is that Jesus never answers the question. They came asking the question, Jesus, why? Why? Why did the Galileans suffer? Why did the tower in Siloam fall? Why did the towers in New York City fall? Why was there a hurricane or an earthquake? Why is this pandemic come? And Jesus never answers. With his words, Jesus attacks our distorted assumptions. He straightens out wayward thinking. He exposes prejudices. But he never satiates our curiosity. He never tells us why these particular people suffered this fate as they did. Some of you might remember that three days after the attacks of September 11th, the Reverend Billy Graham wisely chose to do the same thing when he addressed people in the National Cathedral. There he said, the Bible says God is not the author of evil. It speaks of evil as a mystery. And in 2 Thessalonians 2.7, it talks about the mystery of iniquity. Billy Graham said it's a mystery. Why 9-11? Why Katrina? Why Sandy Hook? Why coronavirus? Why the suffering or the tragedy that you right now are experiencing in your own life? It's a mystery. Why someone suffers a particular evil is a mystery. And friends, unless you are a prophet and have a direct line to God, it's not ours to understand. And it's certainly not ours to pass judgment and point fingers at another person's suffering. Friends, the most important things to note in this passage, the most important thing to note in this passage is one thing. Jesus only gives one command in the course of this passage. And that command is not understand. 
He doesn't give the command to understand. He gives us one command. And that command is repent. Repent. One commentator noted the first time Jesus appears in the first gospel, the first instruction he gives is repent. From then on, it's his most consistent message. In all times, in every situation, his advice is to repent. Repent. Evaluate yourselves, not others, and as necessary, which it will be, repent. If you're going to point any fingers, point them at your own sin. Friends, in the face of inexplicable and seemingly indiscriminate suffering, we ask all the wrong questions. The question we should be asking is not, why did they, or why am I suffering? The question we should be asking is, what does suffering mean? Not why coronavirus, but to what does coronavirus point? Not why coronavirus, but to what does coronavirus point? Friends, all the pain and the suffering and the sickness, coronavirus-related or not, is a loud wake-up call to you and to me. Christian author C.S. Lewis wrote a book titled The Problem of Pain. A powerful book. And in it he writes, We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And building on this thought, Professor John Lennox, in his latest book, which is titled, Where is God in a Coronavirus World? writes, the biblical way to say is, look, what can we learn from this? Is COVID-19 a megaphone shouting at us? I think it is. It reminds us of our vulnerability and of our mortality and of the God question and of the fact that one out of one of us is going to die. And if there is a God, we will have to meet him. Those are big issues. We don't need to make judgments because we don't know. What we can do is ask, what is God saying to us here? What is God saying to you here? Not why coronavirus, but what coronavirus? What is God saying to you through coronavirus, through your pain, through today's passage? Friends, all suffering, tragedy, and pain is meant to shake us from our stupor. It's meant to rouse us from our spiritual slumber. It's meant to alert us to the fact that this world is just not right. And that the world is not right because I'm not right. And everything's gone wrong because of sin. And all sin, including my sin, is deserving of judgment. And one day that judgment should come. So before that day comes, I should repent. Because life is uncertain. Lives inexplicably and indiscriminately end. Tragic accidents suddenly occur. Viruses thicken. And no one knows how much time they have or when they will eventually die. So while there is still time, one command Jesus gives. Repent. And friends, the gospel, the good news is that Jesus has come that we might have the power to repent. 
we might have the power to repent, to change, to turn to God, because that cannot come from us. It must come from Him. The Father must call us. The resurrection power of Christ must forgive and transform us. The Spirit must convict and turn us. And that's why Jesus came. That's why He was born that first Christmas. Why He died upon a cross for our sins. Why He rose again victorious in the third day. So that we might repent and turn and return to God. Jesus says, life is uncertain. It's unpredictable. But I have come that while you still have time, you might be made ready. That while you still have time, you might repent and be forgiven of and freed from your sin. Because one day, ready or not, Jesus is going to return. And there's going to be judgment on all sin. And at that time, God will set all things right. And sin, injustice, natural disasters, tragedy, and pandemics will be no more. As Brian read for us this morning, God will wipe every tear from every eye. Sin, suffering, sorrow, and sickness will be no more. But today, friends, today where we live in our world, it's filled with inexplicable suffering and indiscriminate tragedy, filled with catastrophe, casualties, cruelty, and coronavirus. The question we should be asking in the face of them all is not why, but what? What is God trying to say to you through your suffering, through pain, through coronavirus? How do you need to repent? Turning to God, whether it be for the first time or turning back to Him for the thousandth time. Friends, what is God saying to you? And how today, right here and now, Will you respond? Let's pray together. Father, we feel the world is broken. We feel the shadows deepen. And do we wish that we could see it all made new? Oh, we will one day. We will one day. But Father, until that day, we live in a world filled with coronavirus and suffering and pain and tragedy, disaster, accidents, illnesses. Father, may they awaken us. May they awaken us to our need. May they awaken us to you. And may we respond, not wasting time asking why, but asking the question that means something and will lead us somewhere. What? What are you trying to say? And help us, through the power of your Spirit, to respond in repentance, turning to you, transformed by you, and glorifying you in all things. Father, speak to us and lead us to yourself. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.